Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home? Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, three-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David and Dan recap the Twins' three-game series against the Kansas City Royals. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufis. With me, as always, is Dan Thompson. The Twins, in dramatic fashion, come back to win Game 3 and secure the series sweep. Dan, first series sweep away from home on the season. And that's a hard thing to do, Dan. Unless you're the Astros against the Twins at Target Field. Apparently. And now, you know, they've won four of five series. They've won, what, 10 of 15 here. Gosh, this this baseball team looks pretty good when you're playing the teams that aren't very good. You know, that Like, are there other, other good baseball trend. teams out there? Like, I don't know. Like, who are they? Who are the other good baseball yeah, next, teams right now? The next good baseball team we're probably going to see, it will be Toronto. The first weekend in June, we'll see uh, Toronto. But until then, Dan, Detroit, Kansas City, Detroit. Well, here's the thing. So I'm looking at the standings. So there are actually only six teams currently in the American League with records above 500, right? Oof. You've got you've got the Yankees, the Rays, and the and the Blue Jays. The Twins are the only one in the Central. The White Sox are at 500. And then the Astros and the Angels, and then everybody else is sub 500. I mean, are those the playoff teams just like that? I would think so, at least for the other divisions. However, in the Central, I'm still not convinced that this Twins team can make it the distance because they struggled against those superior teams. Well, we'll see. But you know what team is not going to be making the playoffs? The Kansas City Royals, David. They're they're is not going. It? They're not going anywhere. I don't think. <laughs> well, let's let's with that, Dan, jump into the series recap. Series recap. Game one, Dan Thompson Twins win this one six to four. Get off to a great start. Top of the first, they score three runs, and Devin Smeltzer with his second start of the season. Dan Thompson five and a third. What do you know about that? He keeps looking pretty good. His ERA is one point seven four, and his reward, of course, was. You know, a demotion down to AAA. That's, that's what the, what the, that's what they, that's the Twins' way, the, I guess. The Twins' way. Now it's no longer it's no longer pitch to contact and hit it the other way. It's wait until a guy performs well and then send him to AAA. Well, I think he is now out of options. That's going to be it. So yeah, so he pitches pretty well, and then uh, and then Griffin Jacks comes in, who has turned into a pretty decent reliever here. Right, he gives them at least a couple outs, a couple strikeouts, and and uh, Duffy does run into a little bit of trouble. But the Twins again, and this was a theme this series, scoring late in the game proves crucial. Absolutely. So they they score two runs in the top of the eighth. And again, very important runs because the Twins win this one six to four. And part of the reason why that was so important is because Pagan comes in in the ninth in order to try and shut the door because Duran had pitched and then they went to Pagan, which at that point Duran had had 16 pitches. And I'm kind of thinking, yeah, that's probably pushing it to get him out in the ninth. But at the same time, I'm kind of of the mindset that let him get to 25 pitches. If he gets it done, great. Otherwise, bring in Pagan. But Pagan came in, and he didn't look good, and it got a little bit sketchy there for a moment, Dan. As it always seems to do with Pagan, right? But they, they get out of the trouble, and again, because they got those insurance runs, it didn't really matter, um, and they were able to hang on a couple of the highlights. Kyle Garlick, he starts. It doesn't get a home run, but it's a big hit. He scores a couple runs. They're using him in such interesting ways. We're going to talk about him later. Uh, and then Jose Miranda finally knocks in a couple runs with, uh, with a big hit late in the game. So he goes two for four. Really encouraging to see him get a couple 
couple hits. Yeah, and there was one other highlight, the Celestino play. Celestino is playing in left because Buxton is in center for one of the games he played in center this series, and he makes a fantastic play. Should have been a double, I think, if you had a traditional left fielder playing there. But what's so funny, for the Royals, it was Blanco's first MLB hit, and he would have just gotten a single, and he would have been fine, but he tried to push it to a double. Maybe he didn't realize there was a true center fielder playing in left field and how quickly Celestino got to the ball, but he throws it. Polanco makes a great tag. I was kind of surprised they didn't challenge it. It was a weird slide by Blanco into second base, but what I think happened, Polanco got the tag on the left hand of Blanco, which wasn't the hand he was even reaching for the base with. So it was a a really interesting play, but a great play by both Celestino and Polanco. A little bit disheartening, I'm sure, for Blanco to have your first MLB hit sort of taken away by trying to extend it to a double. I almost thought because he held a tag on him too that maybe that was what did it, that maybe there was a gap between when one hand touched and when the other hand touched. Anything else on this game? No, let's keep pushing here. Game two. Game two, the Twins win this one more comfortably because, again, of some late runs, nine to two. They do take a two to one lead, uh, but they, they, so they led the whole game here, which was nice. And I love, I love seeing them tack on four runs in the ninth to really put it out of reach, especially when, when you're on the road like this. Yeah, Joe Ryan gets the start on this one. 5.2 innings pitched, five hits, two walks, one earned run, six strikeouts. Again, here's the thing. He looks so good, but the one outing he had against superior competition, he got rocked. So I don't know what to think because I am definitely on the Joe Ryan bandwagon, but you need to step up when you're playing those big teams. Is it because of his five wins? That you're really so impressed. Don't even get me started. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Wednesday. We do this every episode. Every episode. It's so easy to do because it's such a it's such a germane issue. Luis Arise has a great game here. He's two for three. He scores three runs. I feel like last year we were talking about a game when he scored in four runs in one game. A couple RBI, a couple base, a couple walks. He's just been everywhere, I think, for the twins. So nice to see him playing to the top of the lineup, playing well, playing a good first base. You again, I say I say this I feel like every episode, but the top five, six batters of this lineup right now, when they are all actually playing, is a fantastic lineup. Buxton, Arise, Correa. Polanco, Kepler, and Sanchez. I think that Buxton-Correa combination is just lethal, especially when they're both on and they're both healthy. But you throw a rise in there, who's, yeah, he's not going to hit a home run. I mean, almost never he's going to hit a home run. But odds that he gets on base or odds that he moves the runners are so high that when you have the guys of Correa and Buxton's caliber and a guy like Arise who's a contact hitter, good things are going to happen. Did you see, I mean, and Corey Provis kind of jinxed it um, in the third game, but Arise hadn't struck out, I think it was like 41 plate appearances in a row, which I think was the longest streak this season. Just remarkable skill to be able to see the ball. And and this was against, and I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in the third game, it was against Stalmont who can throw 90-something miles, I mean, high 90. I continue to be impressed with Luis Arise. The other note here in game two, I thought this was interesting. In the third inning, how the Twins scored their first run, Urshela walk, Jeffers singles, then Celestino sack bunt, Buxton sack fly, which is just cool to see because you don't see that that often anymore. Maybe in the 10th inning with the stupid rule with with the runner on second, but today's baseball, pretty rare that you're going to see that where a guy gets on and then it sacrifices to get him around the bases. When the bottom of your lineup produces like that, yeah, you want to have guys in scoring position for Buxton and Arise, especially because they don't want to walk Buxton to then face Arise and then Correa. They don't want to make it a bigger inning. No, so in game three, Twins win this one 7-6 to six, again in very dramatic fashion coming back from a 6-0 deficit. Here's the thing folks, I have two TVs in my living room and normally the big TV is the Twins and the small TV is typically I'd say pre or post World War II British shows because that's what my wife watches but on Sundays she tends to take a nap I tend to watch the baseball game and if there's an F1 race, right? So there's an F1 race today and when the Twins were down 6 nothing, I swapped the TVs. 
So I had the twins on the small TV and I had the F1 race on the big TV. Then I had to flip them back. I had to flip them back. Nothing makes me happier, Dan, than moving the twins game back to the big TV. I, I don't even know where to start with this. There's so much to unpack in what you just said there, David. Oh my goodness. All right. I'm going to start with the Formula One, which I don't think you've talked about your love of Formula One so much on the podcast before. It's kind of a kind of a niche interest here for a Minnesotan. It is. It's a new thing. I got hooked on that Netflix series and now I, I, I'll never look back, Dan. I used to I used to turn my nose up at motorsports and now I'm that guy, Dan. I wear shirts. All of my clothes that I wear to work now, I put patches from different teams and different uh, different they, sponsors. They sponsor you, shirts. David, now? Yeah. And the other thing about that, hold on. So I thought you turned baseball games off after the third inning anyway. Like this one, when the Royals <laughs> were make, up 6 nothing, I guess you can just relegate it to the backup TV rather than actually I, turn it off. I make one comment about how if you were going to rewatch the game you could shut it off after a certain time and that's all i hear now is that i shut the game off as soon as it's no longer closed well I, I forgot Dan. that on, on sundays you have both tvs at your disposal here so yes. i understand i would relegate it too in, in that situation you want to monitor it right just not your primary focus anymore yes anyway uh bailey over gets the start comes back off the il goes five innings pitched three hits one earned run one walk four strikeouts he looked pretty good again it's one of those things where all season long he hasn't gotten deep into games prior to going on the il and i think that trend is going to continue as the season progresses because of the way that they've handled pitchers coming off of the aisle in the past i was really happy to see him go five unfortunately then yenier cano comes in and, and clearly has his worst outing he had looked so much better in his earlier outings but it, the wheels really came off for him here and obviously at the time we're thinking right well this game's over now and they give up five runs in the bottom of the sixth so i guess good that the twins did try to manage that situation they bring mcgill in they don't just leave cano out there to face even more batters that he clearly couldn't get out no i mean his ERA right now is at 14.29, which is just just not ideal, Dan, for a relief pitcher. No, I think if they had any other options right now, I think they would send him down and bring somebody else back up. But here's the thing. I think they have enough competent other arms in the bullpen that they can maybe keep him around and let him stay on the major league staff and hopefully come in in a less pressured situation to try to lower that ERA, get some more confidence back. Maybe, but don't you at this point just choose somebody else from AAA and just see what happens? Well, maybe. And and we'll see what they do this week and see if they make a move. Yeah, so a couple other notes on this one. Garlic's home run was against a righty in the eighth. I think that's important to point out. The other piece here, the home plate ump in this game. Mm. I can't wait for the ump scorecard to be released because this was terrible. Particularly Luis Arise at bat. This was terrible. This was a huge moment in the game. Arise comes to the plate. Bases loaded. Two outs. There is not like a single pitch in that strike zone that Arise swings at and the ump calls him out on strikes. And it's it's ridiculous. You can go on MLB.com or or Baseball Savant and you can see where those pitches were. Ridiculous from the home plate umpire. And that was the whole game. Not just Arise at bat. Like the entire game, this ump calling low stuff strikes, it it was not good. Well, and, and here's the thing. The, the way that the Twins were able to rally back in spite of things situations like that to score two more and then take the lead in the top of the ninth. Also, the way that they were moving runners again, Gary Sanchez had two big sack flies, and, and there were spots even in that eighth inning when they scored so many runs. That was when one of Sanchez's sack flies was. Just doing enough, just having productive outs really kept them going in this game, and it, obviously it turned out they needed every run that they got. But again, how disheartening if you're the Royals here <laughs> to lose a six-run lead like that. That has to be very heartbreaking. We're so used to being on the other end of that, Dan Thompson. I know, and I don't think we noted this yet. Uh, this is the Twins' largest comeback since August 31st of 2018 against Texas. They believe they were down. They were down six runs, but they won that game 10 to seven. That was the most the most significant comeback in podcast history, David. How about that? The other note here: Duran comes in to get the save opportunity, not Pagan, and he does shut the door. The only thing is, it's Hunter Dozier at the plate with two outs, and they ring him up on a check Ooh, swing. Yeah, I don't even think it was that close, Dan. I don't think that was. <laughs> 
don't think that was a check swing. I think the, the umps were like, you know what? This game has gone on for three and a half hours. Let's just call it. I hate to see that happen like that too. I don't, if it's close there, that first base ump can't bring them up like that. Let, let it go. It was only, I mean, it wasn't, I think it was a one, two count even. It wasn't even like it was a, a walk pitch or anything like that. So yeah, I just feel bad for the Royals there. That drops them to 14 and 26. The Twins are 25 and 16. Again, big win for the Twins. They extend their lead in the AL Central now to four and a half games over the White Sox. All right, well, let's uh, let's move forward into our segments. Catch them all, Kirby Puckett! Puckett's Picks winner. Well, Dan, it's that time of the episode where you get to Pour myself me. another beer, I think. That's what I have to do in these segments. David, you know, good good on you for picking Luis Arise. He gets you eight points. Correa has seven for the listeners. We double-checked our math. I'm in a distant third because Byron Buxton's two games were, again, not super effective. So you now extend your lead in the season series. I hate, hate that phrase, David. Oh, man. So <laughs> you're up six, fantastic. four to three. You have six, I have four, and the listeners have three. Come on, listeners, do better here. We, we got to catch him. We got to reel him in now. You know, and the listeners still leading points. They have 63 points scored to my 44 to your 38. And yet I still have double their win total, Dan. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens this week here. This week, for the record, they're going to play the Tigers and then the Royals and the Tigers again. So a lot more AL Central teams for the Twins to hopefully beat up on. Let's keep pushing, Dan. Beast versus Bench. Beast versus Bench. Is losing fun? Is losing fun. So I'm going to go with my boy Arise. It's hard not to. I, I felt bad last episode because he won me Puckett's picks and I didn't go with him for my for my beast. I got to rectify that this week, Dan. This is fantastic. Arise had a great series. Game one, he wasn't really a factor, but game two and game three, he was a pivotal part of these victories. So I got to give it to Arise. Hard to argue with that, though. I, I'm going to go with, actually, I'm going to go with Kyle Garlick for a couple reasons. One, in game three, huge home run to bring the Twins back within a run there. I think it was with two outs as well. The, that inning could have easily been over and obviously I think if it ends there you know the twins are not going to be able to come back and win that game so he's one for four in the game but it, it is a home run against a righty as you noted and then in game one he only had the two plate appearances one of them though was a sack fly the other one was a was another RBI hit you know we've teased so much pregame like what is Kyle Garlic doing batting third and then he continues to produce <laughs> like his batting average is 250 his OPS now is 984 that's the best on the team I mean who saw this out of Garlic I mean he is dare we call him Garlic Mash like can we can we use that term yet my name is kyle garlic and i'm here to mash taters and mash lefties and i've oh, already man. mashed my taters oh gosh anyway anyway uh let's go to bench who's on your bench i don't know i truly <laughs> don't know i i've been looking over these stat lines it'd be really hard for me to give it to anybody i think i'm gonna give it to larnick but i feel terrible about doing that he went 0 for 5 with three strikeouts and two guys left on base the only reason why i don't want to give it to him is he was only in game three and it was his first game back from the il so it's hard to give it to him but honestly everybody else played a pretty decent role in these victories other than the guy who you have on your bench and i wanted a little bit of parody here dan so who do you have on your bench yeah i went with cano i mean he gave up five runs in, in a third of an inning he just did not look great but obviously the team bailed him out. Just a tough outing for him. Hope he can bounce back. It was good though because Duffy then en- ended up getting the win, which we a know much is logical. Deser- much deserved <laughs> win. There much out of, deserved out of Duffy. win. My goodness. It is something to be said though that I had trouble picking anybody, mm-hmm. and you picked a relief pitcher. And anytime you can pick a relief pitcher who only had one outing during a series as your bench, you have to think things went pretty well for the Twins. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's go to Rockers Rewind. <laughs> 
Rocco's Rewind. Let's get you out of the way, Dan, because I got a couple <laughs> things to say. <laughs> All right. What do you got for Rocco? I'm going to go with Rocco keeping Bailey Ober in there for five innings today and not pulling him early. I just thought because of the way that he has treated starting pitchers earlier coming off the injured list, I kind of talked about this earlier, but I just thought that that was a smart way to handle him. I, and it was also encouraging to see that Bailey Ober can come back and pitch five innings because you just never know with guys coming off the IL whether they're going to have to go back on it. What about you, sir? Yeah, I have to go game three. I love that Rocco pinch hit Correa. And Correa didn't get a hit, but he registered a walk, which turned out to be important because Celestino got a hit after that, and there were two outs at that point. But my criticism still stands, but I'm a little bit less angry than I've been the last couple of episodes because Rocco proved to be able to break that sort of, hey, a guy has an off day, we're not going to use him rule. Now, at least for Correa, I still would have loved to see Buxton pinch hit for Celestino, but I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let my anger be released from the last couple of episodes for giving Buxton his off day, especially if you're willing to break that rule for Correa. I think once Buxton's at 100%, I hope that rule starts to come into play for Buxton as well. Well, and here's the thing. Miranda's hitting 117. Celestino's hitting 350 in that situation. You know, so like you can also back it up by just the fact that if you're Gilberto Celestino and you get pinch hit for in that situation, what kind of message is that saying? I mean, yes, I get you're not as good as Byron Buxton, but goodness, Celestino's played really well this season. You got to reward him and let him stay out there. I do think Correa did probably say something to Rocco and say, hey, I want to be out there. And then think of the boost that that gives the team to be like, yeah, yeah we're going to try to win this game still. We're still very much in this game. Like huge, huge for the, the championship culture building here that Correa is doing. Yes, the championship culture. Dan, I think this segues well into the Minnesota moment because I have something to say about Urshela's pinch hit. <laughs> Minnesota moment. Well, that is my Minnesota moment is is Urshela's pinch hit single in the ninth inning here in game three to win the game for the Twins. Essentially, he hit that ball hard at the center fielder there, gets down right in front of him to cap a comeback like that. That's got to be the moment. Isn't it odd, though, that you pinch for Gordon, who is two for four on the day at that point? It is a little bit, but I I, I wonder if they saw something in the matchups. I, I guess I don't have a great answer for you. I just know that it worked out <laughs> that Urshela came Fair in enough. and did it. So And, and isn't that how, kind of how pitch hitting works? Like, if it works, you look smart if it doesn't you, you don't look smart I guess it's just odd because the last thing that you referenced was pinch hitting for Miranda because mm-hmm. of the low batting average which is understandable but then you pinch Urshela who's I mean no better than Gordon really at this point if you're looking at their season stats yeah I wonder if they saw something in the matchups and said maybe we want a little more of a veteran guy to face a guy who can throw 99 mile an hour fastballs I suppose I suppose Dan Thompson. what about you what's yours yeah so I have to go with garlic's home run especially because it was against a righty and it because <clears throat> it made that game all of a sudden seem interesting like that that's what triggered my movement, Dan. From <laughs> that the was small the TV moment when the you... big TV. Yes. Yeah. That's what triggered it was Garlic's home run. I'm like, okay, well, this is for real. Time to switch it back over. Impressive. Just again, what a team victory to be able to come back like that. And again, I, I keep coming back to Cano, but to bail a guy out like that is a really important thing, I think, for a young guy. And it rewards Bailey Ober for that five innings that he had. I mean, just the pitching staff coming together like that. But again, the twins have been on the other side of that before. It feels like more often. And so I know the pain. It's just hard to not feel bad for the Royals. And you'll notice that Ober wasn't rewarded with a win. No, okay, and I thought about that too, actually. I thought about saying Ober deserved it, because he did. He was the most effective Twins pitcher. And And yet... yet, We're going to form that committee, David, because I'm kind of on your side here. I knew that you would come around, Dan Thompson, to my way of doing things, because it makes more sense, because you realize the current system is ridiculous. The current win system, while statistically easy to track, makes no sense if you're trying to gauge the effectiveness of a pitcher. And in this instance, Ober definitely deserved the win, which you just said. I knew, Dan, if we keep talking about it, you'll be 
be on the train that I'm on as well. Well, and I was thinking, it's not like the scorekeeper gets no leeway in other aspects of the game. How often do we say, oh, that should have been an error? Nah, that was ruled a base hit. You know what I mean? So I think we can yeah. give, we can trust the official scorekeeper to, to do his job well, I think, in that situation. And then baseball's already surrounded with controversy about things like this. So it's just one more talking point. Let's uh, let's move here to Maurer's Musings. I just don't know how it can get any better. Maurer's Musings. David, here's a question. This has been rolling about. I don't know. First of all, how often have you paid attention to the position that a AAA Twins player is playing in a series? Because apparently we know exactly where Rice Lewis is at all points now when it's he's like, playing baseball. It's a tweet update. Like every baseball guy on Twins Twitter is tweeting out where where Royce Lewis is playing for the Saints that night. For the record, he started at short and then he was at third and then he was in left, I believe, for game three of their series. So clearly they're moving him around trying to make some space. So that leads up to my question. How soon do you think we're going to see Royce Lewis in a Twins uniform again? I'm not sure. And the reason why I'm not sure is because it made no sense to send him down if you're just trying to get him prepared at those other positions. The timeline, there's there's no logical way to play out when you think he's going to be ready because as as skilled a fielder as he is how much time does a guy need if he's played shortstop his entire life to all of a sudden switch positions that's either a long-term play or it's like a quick scramble to see if he can be ready so for me i guess the question is what's the bare minimum that they think he needs to be prepared to play either third base or left field at the major league level and i don't know what the answer is to that question yeah so i think this brings up a couple things about positionalness because i think the shortstop is agreed that that's perhaps the most difficult position to play on the field right because of the range you have to have you have to know where to throw the ball in all these situations from often crazy angles that other positions just don't need third base right is the hot corner so you're gonna you have to have quick reaction speed but the way that fielders are used now in baseball and at least for this season while they can still actually shift them around the way that they should be able to I just think maybe that doesn't quite matter as much like like how often is it that that Royce Lewis could be playing third and forget where he's supposed to throw the baseball on a given play like other than that I don't see the difference there but maybe I'm naive I think the lack of range at third base it's definitely less space to cover but yeah i don't think it'd be that much of a transition if anything it'd be easier for him i would think so too so maybe it's just in some sense for him i'm sure he would have said um yes i will play third base i don't care but yes. for the for both parties comfort you, do, you don't want to put royce in a position to play third and then he he does make an error you know in in some sense and then you know it maybe cost the team i mean you do have competent fielders to play third i get that they want his bat in the lineup if it's a couple weeks here and we don't see him that's probably fine i'd be really surprised if we didn't see him back before the end of june maybe Maybe. But again, I think so much of this depends on what the Twins are actually trying to do. What are they trying to accomplish with him at AAA? Is it truly, honestly, just a quick and dirty, get used to whatever positions you can as quickly as you can? I just don't know if that's worth it. I'd rather have him just work out the kinks at the major league level, honestly, as opposed to having him try and figure it out at AAA if we're, if he's only going to be down there for a week or two trying to figure that out. But now this is a first place team. It's not like last year when you're a last place team and you're just playing Nick Gordon everywhere. Like, I think the stakes are a little higher. <laughs> well, hang on. Hang on. A couple of things. <laughs> to unpack there. Nick Gordon's caliber as a player is severely less than that of Royce Lewis. So I yeah, think I would agree with there's, you a, there's, a, there's a big difference there. And again, we're not talking about just moving him around to move him around to see where he's going to stick. We're making a calculated decision to play him at a position that the Twins know he's not going to be at long term simply to have him in the lineup. Sure. So it's a little different than Nick Gordon just like, you know, give him some at-bats anywhere. Right. It's different. Right, because Nick Gordon's just trying to be useful on the team and he's leaning into his versatility to be able to have a roster spot 
thought. That's not what they're trying to do with Royce. Exactly. Um, what do you What do you see? What's your musing? I think it's interesting that the rotation is almost back to what it was at the beginning of the year. Different guys had different stints on the IL list, and now it's back to a five-man rotation of Ryan, Archer, Gray, Ober, and Bundy. Because Smeltzer got demoted to AAA, and Winder went to the 10-day IL. So here's my question, Dan. When's the next time we see a different name than these five guys? Because we truly haven't had a five-man rotation all season long. It has been a bit of a mess, and like Rocco just kind of works with what he can. He gets four innings out of a guy, and then he brings in a long relief guy. But right now, I think these are the five names we're going to see in any given start until one of them gets injured. And once that happens, Dan, who's the next man up? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a tricky spot they're in because, so Smeltzer now is, I believe, out of options. So if they bring him back, they got to keep him on the roster. So now is it Jordan Belzovic? I mean, he is he kind of the next guy to come up? He's he's their best pitching prospect right now at AAA. I don't really know. I don't know what the answer to the question is. It's just interesting that we finally gotten back to sort of a traditional five-man rotation, but we definitely took the long way around to get there, Dan. Yeah, I think losing Paddock to season-ending surgery is a pretty big deal in that sense because yeah. he, he's one of your five if he's there, um, and so he's gone. So now they're really relying on these rookie pitchers, and with Winder going on the aisle now for hopefully just a 10-day stint to maybe a 10- or 15-day stint, but that is, it's a little worrisome because their depth is certainly not there like we thought it was or like we hoped it was be. Well, let's go into let's go and grade the series. Series grades. Not a lot of disagreement here, Dan Thompson. I don't dare disagree here. It's got to be an A. You know, it wasn't going to be an A heading into the seventh inning of game three, but believe a comeback like that and you win the first two pretty decisively. You score a lot of runs. You pitch really well. Yeah, it's not a great team you're facing, but you swept them on the road. On the road. I, I don't know what else to say. It's an A, absolutely. I don't know what other grade would possibly work in this circumstance. Now, granted, I'm not one to give an A when they lose one out of three games, but I know that's something you Easy like to do from time there. to time. Easy there. It depends on the competition. All right, let's let's keep no, it going. Depends. <laughs> I'm going to run away from this discussion, too. Let's go to Herbie's headline. Yeah. I don't know, Jack. It looked like Herbeck pulled him off the bag. Herbie's headlines. Well, Dan, I'm going to go ahead and let you talk about this. So for you, for those of you who don't know, Dan has spent, um, let's say, a large portion of your adult life writing sports columns for different papers from time to time. And so Dan is has a has a foot in this camp, I'll say. And so Dan really wanted to talk about this. I uh, am not a big baseball reader. And so Dan mocked me prior to the episode starting because I didn't even know about this news, let alone had I thought that I read anything by this man. But Dan, I'll let you get emotional here. I'll see if I can get some backing music for you <laughs> oh, while you talk about this. Oh, man. First of all, I think your baseball acumen would increase if you did a little bit more baseball reading here, David. The nuance, the, the the emotions of the game, I think, would really come to you a little bit more. If you read some work by Roger Angel, who died, he was 101, and I, I guess you you don't have anything to add here for details about Roger no. Angel's prolific did life. I not, in my intro, did I not <laughs> did I not give you enough leeway to say that you're going to be leading this segment? All right, all right. So Roger Angel, he was perhaps the greatest baseball writer of all time. And and the reason that this came to me, actually, I was in college and I was in a, a sports writing class and I was introduced to Roger Angel and his style of writing is very different. So he wrote baseball columns for the New Yorker and he was actually a fiction editor too. He, he took a different lens to baseball than your game story, right? So if you pick up the newspaper now and you read whatever the Star Tribune has or the Pioneer Press or even the Athletic in that sense, he had a different way of talking about baseball. There was a romance to his writing a little bit, but also incredible detail, just the, the things that he would notice about 
players. He wasn't beholden to writing game stories. He just wrote about baseball in its context, in our society, in a way that we just don't see. It's really interesting. I would urge people, if they haven't heard of Roger Angel, to read some Roger Angel. Also, you know how, David, I love Bob Gibson. I talk about Bob Gibson occasionally as a pitcher. This is where my love of of that era comes from, because he wrote so much about that. And this is, you know, the time before we were alive, right, in the 60s and 70s. So I gained an appreciation for baseball history through reading him. So anyway, this is an exhortation, I would suppose, to our listeners to just say, hey, pick up a little bit of Roger Angel. Um, It's good reading. And it, it really, he did a lot for baseball sports writing and really did a lot for that romance of the game that I think we all love about about the sport. Well, they always say too, right, that as far as sports writing is concerned, the smaller the ball, the better the writing. Is Absolutely. That Yes, absolutely. And that fits absolutely Roger Angel. Well, Dan, thank you for bringing us, uh, bringing us a little English You're welcome. writing. I didn't, did you tear up history. at all during that little monologue? I did. I did. I got my box of Kleenex uh, right Perfect. here. Perfect. I'll send you a, a book. It'll be in your Amazon cart soon, David. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, let's keep going here, Dan. Puckett's picks for the upcoming Tiger series. And we'll see you tomorrow night. Puckett's picks. Well, hey, so the listeners here are going to take Luisa Rice away from you. You can't have him now. That's the saddest thing I've heard today, Dan. It is. And well, my kid cried earlier. <laughs> <laughs> this puts me in a little bit of a predicament now because I, I've been going with Buxton here for a while and he's he's let me down. What was it going to be? Should I... <laughs> Should I play the Jeopardy music? What are we doing here? No. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with Carlos Correa. I'm going to mix it up a little bit and uh, and make your choice. I'll let you have Buxton if you want him. Yeah, I'm not going to take Buxton. To be honest, I'm at a bit of a loss. I know who you're going to take. You think so, huh? I do. Okay, well, I'm going to take my boy Max Kepler. Oh, that's not who I thought you were going to take. Who did you think I was going to take? I thought you were taking Sanchez. You've been talking about Sanchez on our chat so much here. Like, oh, I, I should have taken Sanchez. should have taken Sanchez. I thought about it, but he has such a high percentage chance of hitting into double plays and like just not scoring points that... I'm going to go with Kepler. I think that he's the safer choice. I just I don't have a lot of confidence, though, because clearly Arise and Correa are the two choices, and Buxton's just too much of a wild card for me right now. Watch Buxton have a huge series now and mess with Probably. us Probably. None of us picked him. Yeah. Well, David, this was fun. We should do this again in just a couple of days. I think we will, Dan, after the uh, Detroit series in a couple of days. Sounds good. I'm going to set us out today. Please do. Folks, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Men for the Win. You can find our Men for the Win Facebook page. You can find us on YouTube as well. Make sure you subscribe to any and all of those to be notified when new episodes are available. And if you could leave us a rating or a like, that'd be great. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Twins. That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, go Twins.